It's crossing the tape right now. Let me explain what's happening here. Some breaking news to share with you this morning. M&A related. There's good activism. I think eBay is in that situation. They got a jewel in PayPal. There's bad activism. My own sources on this, Jim, say it's just totally bogus. Examples of activism gone awry. It was not a surprise to me that that deal fell through. This is such a game changer. Amazon to buy Whole Foods. Yes, it's been almost a year to the day that we got that headline, Amazon to buy Whole Foods, a day which jolted the entire grocery industry. Walmart was down 10% that day. Kroger was down over 10% that day. Target. But I don't want to talk about retail today, and I definitely don't want to talk about supermarkets. Welcome to According to Sources for the week of June 17th. I'm your host, Mike Samuels of Broom Street Capital, a podcast that focuses weekly on event-driven trading, M&A, and the sources that cover them. I'm going to devote this entire podcast today to the never-ending, excruciating saga that is NXPI. On Thursday night, the South China Morning Post gave me a brief moment of happiness and a brief belief that I could have a good summer when they posted an article that said Mofcom, the Chinese agency, had in fact approved the deal for Qualcomm to buy NXPI. Now, in my head, this actually made sense to me. You know, the timing seemed to work. Trump was levying $50 billion in taxes on China, and perhaps the chess piece all along was that we weren't going to go to the $200 billion in taxes number. Maybe we were going to do 50 And in exchange, one of the things China was going to do for us was approve NXPI Qualcomm. And shares of NXP got to over $125, nearly $2 within deal price. And if it was true, if the story was true, then the deal could have closed as soon as Friday, as that's when the next tender date for Qualcomm was. But of course, that didn't happen. Wall Street Journal reporter Ling Ling refuted the story on Twitter. By morning, Reuters News had also refuted the story. And NXPI once again snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. It goes without saying that I have never experienced a deal situation like this in my life. Congressional interference, presidential interference, international trade disputes. It all seemed to start out so simple. Qualcomm buys NXP. Later, Elliott thinks it's undervalued and buys a huge stake, refusing to tender. And as a trader, you think, well, this is easy. I'll just buy it, I'll wait for the bump, and I'll sell. Or better yet, I'll tender. And just what a winding, winding road it's been since then. An update now for you on the ongoing deal talks between Qualcomm and chipmaker NXPI. I love the fact that Qualcomm, which is so telecommunications, would be broadening because it reminds me of what happened when Avago and Broadcom got together. Shareholders who own significant amounts of the stock are starting to make noise. This morning, it's Elliott. Are Qualcomm shareholders better off today than they were four years ago? Answer, no. So this saga goes on. Uh, now, on and on. Yeah, and, and Broadcom's not given up. This is best and final. We have a compelling offer. What I'm hearing, though, is a continued concern on antitrust. Let me say unequivocally, President Trump and his administration made the right decision on blocking Broadcom from taking over Qualcomm. I've been reporting for many, many months the deal was not going to get done at 110. We don't know when we'll get the approval from the Chinese antitrust authorities. They're a very competent regulator. They look for places where they can steal our best technology. Most of us, from the outside at least, have looked at this as a chess piece in this larger negotiation. We caught them doing bad things. 
and we essentially made it so difficult that it was shut down. But what does and that mean? It sounds like this is a done deal. Can Congress do anything to block the transaction? Sure. It's not just ZTE, it's Huawei. All of them depend on U.S. semiconductors. None of these companies should be operating in this country. None of them. So it's become clear at this point, for NXPI to close, we need to get clarity on ZTE sanctions getting lifted. When and if. I was lucky enough to speak with Henrietta Trays of Veda Partners on Saturday afternoon. Veda is a DC-based investment advisor. They specialize in economic policy, energy, infrastructure, as well as healthcare. Henrietta Trays spent eight years at Height Analytics and then moved to Veda Partners. And in, in our conversation on Saturday, we wasted no time before jumping right into ZTE. To start, I simply asked her, what made this week's political events such a big deal particularly Mitch McConnell supporting Marco Rubio's bill. Yeah, it has nothing to do even with substance. Um, it is all to do with the fact that the president's own party acted with unanimous consent, meaning all 100 members of the United States Senate supported curbing their own president's authority. And that's unprecedented. You didn't see that at all during the Obama administration. Um, you can say that there was obviously some intra-party fighting over Iran and things like that. Um, but I have never in my experience, which I guess is going back almost 15 years now, seen a president's own party act to stem his uh, executive authority. And that's, that's effectively what they're doing here. So on a scale from 1 to 10, just for that rationale alone, it's a, it was a 10. Okay, understood. Now, Henrietta, you've written in the past that Trump does have a lot more sway in the House than he does, though, in the Senate. So I guess a two-part question. If you were going to handicap odds on the Rubio bill and its current state passing in the House, what percentage chance would you give it? And then part two, do you even think that this gets to a vote or do we see some sort of compromise instead? Yeah, so what's going to happen next is the House and Senate are going to conference their two bills. So they're going to put a group of people in a room and say, all right, find the differences in this big, massive bill um, and get to a place where you can both get 218 votes in the House and uh, 51 votes at least in the Senate. Um, it's a defense bill, so the underlying package will pass. As you've seen from the votes so far, they get 94 votes for this bill, so it will be um, an overwhelming bipartisan-supported bill that will be veto-proof. The president will not be able to veto this bill, um, and that's because it funds our military, so the optics of that are horrific for President Trump. So what he needs to do now and what his White House staff is doing right now is um, trying to devise a strategy, and I really mean that. They're still working on their strategy. They don't have one conclusively yet, and I can get into some specific and interesting details there. But um, the bottom line is that when the Senate goes to conference this bill with the House, the Republican caucus in the House is much more tethered to President Trump than the senators are. And you can see that from the various primaries that were held just this week to say if the president wants you out and you're a House Republican – Name recognition is extraordinarily low amongst congressmen in the House, right? I mean, most folks don't know who their congressman is. So if the president tweets about him or her mm. and says, hey, this guy's not a team player, he's not making America great again, they will go out and vote for whoever the president directs them to vote for. And one of the things to be mindful of is that while the president hovers between 42 and 48 percent approval ratings, that's sky high compared to his House colleagues uh, who are at 13, 14, 15 percent approval rate. So when the voters go out, and the president has such an incredible ability to send a message to his constituents, mostly via Twitter. He can do so with extraordinary speed and effect. 
So my expectation is that the president personally is going to have to get involved here, maybe behind the scenes, maybe publicly. Um, but he has already sent a very strong message with, for example, the Mark Sanford vote in South Carolina where he lost his primary because Trump tweeted about it one time. So I mean to say here that the Republican caucus in the House is much more in the hand or in the pocket of President Trump than the Republican senators are. Um, the senators are there for six years. You know, they're expressly designed to have longer tenure than the president, and they do not like being pushed around by the president, never have, never will. But they very rarely actually buck him, which is what they're doing here. So I would say if you want odds on it, I think that the Rubio-Cotton-Van Hollen Amendment uh, as it's written now, which could have some impact on the president's negotiating ability with ZTE and China directly without involving members of Congress, um, is the, the odds of the Rubio Amendment passing in the Senate form are maybe like 40, 45 percent. The mm. upper hand exists in the, in the House for the administration who can make sure that this is a line in the sand that House Republicans just cannot support. And that's an easier battle to fight. Um, than the uphill climb that Rubio, Cotton, and Van Hollen have. So Qualcomm has reiterated that it has a July 25th drop-dead date on this deal. So can you just, for the trader's perspective, lay out the important dates that lie in between now and July 25th, and is it possible that something can get done in that time? Sure, yeah, there are actually a bunch of important dates, the most recent of which is now July 6th. So ZTE, the reason that we're having this conversation at all is because in order to engage China on trade and get them to enter into any form of negotiation where they pay remedies for past IP theft or to correct the deficit or whatever your issue is, their mandate to the administration a few months back was, you know, you need to bring ZTE out of insolvency. They need to be able to do business. So if you want to have a conversation with us about increasing exports of cosmetics, I first need you to deal with ZTE and repeal what your Commerce Department put on us because it's way too severe you put us out of this. So that's a mandatory um, accession that the United States needs to make to China uh, in order for them to even have the conversation with us in the first place. So a couple of things have happened. The administration continues to threaten tariffs, as we know, as we saw yesterday. Um, so what that means is we have now until July 6th before the first, uh, I believe it's a $34 billion tranche of tariffs goes on roughly 800 product lines from China. That happens July 6th. So that's what, like a three-week buffer that we have. Between now and July 6th, the United States Senate Finance Committee will hold two hearings to condemn the administration's tariff threats and mm -hmm. their tariff implementation. They're mad at the steel tariffs, aluminum tariffs. They're very concerned about the threatened auto tariffs. So those hearings will be held next week. Uh, I believe it's on the 20th. Um, Secretary Ross will be up there testifying, and he will be asked point blank to answer publicly for the rationale behind the administration's move. And that's an opportunity for either Republican senators to get more comfortable publicly with the fact that, A, they are being aggressive with the administration and trying to work for their constituents and keep costs down, uh, and, B, hear more from Secretary Ross in a way that might convince them that, hey, the administration really does have a plan. Because at this point, the reason the senators are, are holding up the DTE deal is because they are not convinced that the administration has a plan. And I, I have evidence to show that they don't have a plan, namely just in um, conversations with Senate staff who 
are being asked to find ways to roll back the ZTE amendment, even though the administration knows that they won't pass. Um, if you want me to get into that, I can. It's I would. complicated, but it's fascinating. Yeah, sure. So here's an example. Um, there's a pro. The, the way to think about the Senate is, and what they're doing on ZTE is to break it down into three baskets. You have the pro-Trump contingent of senators that are very close to the administration, really like what he's doing, think that he's taking the right tactic. Um, the example of that would be Senator Perdue, a uh, Republican from Georgia, former CEO of Reebok and Dollar General, a, a, a well-trusted source within the Senate Republican caucus, even though he's relatively new to the Senate. Um, he does have extraordinary business credentials, and so he was instrumental in, for example, killing the border adjustment tax. Mm -hmm. So you have that group that's very close to the White House um, and uh, wants to do what the White House wants to do. It's a friendly face for the administration. Great. On the other side, you've got members like um, Senator Cotton. Senator Cotton is a Republican from uh, Arkansas who is the most aggressive anti-China hawk in the entire Senate Republican caucus. So he wants to be as aggressive towards China as humanly possible. He doesn't even care about the trade deficit. He just wants to be um, fully restricting any ability of them to advance. He's got a national security background, obviously, um, in uh, two wars, uh, two tours, excuse me, in Iraq. Um, he wants ZTE out of business. He considers them a national security threat. So he doesn't want to hear any argument about trading away ZTE for any tariffs because he thinks it's not worth it. Okay? So you've got the anti-China team led by Senator Cotton. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, you've got the Marco Rubios of the world. Marco Rubio obviously has been personally belittled by this president. He was a presidential contender, a front runner, and he will probably try to be back there again, as will Senator Cotton. So Rubio is on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senate Armed Services Committee is chaired by none other than John McCain, a national hero, right? So one of the things that the street overlooks often is the fact that in the Senate and in the House, but mostly in the Senate, they really do have a gentleman's understanding. It doesn't seem like it all the time, but they really do have a sense of you don't insult one of your own, and one of your own is any senator. And the president's barbs against John McCain have been extraordinarily personal, and that has really created a, a serious amount of ill will inside the committee that he chairs um, so proudly, which is the Senate Armed Services Committee. So because this is a defense bill, the Armed Services Committee is in control of the legislation. That's why Senator Inhofe, another Republican, is the floor manager of this legislation. So he's taking the place of John McCain while McCain is back in Arizona recovering. So in the committee, you have Marco Rubio, Tom Cotton, John McCain, and you have a sense that A, ZTE really needs to be punished, and B, the Senate Armed Services Committee needs to stand up for John McCain and against the administration's, you know, cavalier attitude towards these trade wars, that most Republicans in the Free Trade Caucus, to the extent that it still exists, have a huge problem with it. So what happened on Monday was something really extraordinary, because if you'll recall on Thursday and Friday, I think we spoke at the time, on Thursday and Friday, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, and Senator Cornyn, the second highest ranking Republican in the Senate, came out and said, we're not going to pass either the Cotton Amendment or the separate Corker Amendment that limits the president's actions on tariffs. There's no way we're even going to let this come up for a vote. That was Thursday, Friday night. Over the weekend, Cotton, Rubio, and the rest of the Armed Services Committee got together with Senator Inhofe and showed him that they had enough votes for their amendment to curb the president's authority on DTE to even 
need um, to be scheduled for a vote. It would pass with unanimous consent. Members wanted this amendment in. And they had mm. such support, and Senator Inhofe was not trying to micromanage the situation. So he added, along with 44 other amendments, this Corcoran, excuse me, the uh, Cotton Rubio Van Hollen amendment into a substitute manager's package that basically corrects the bill with a whole bunch of different components that are very, very widely supported, and there wasn't even a vote on it. So the ZTE amendment got added to the underlying bill without even a, a recorded vote. And that was because um, what happened was Mitch McConnell saw that it was so widely supported that even he didn't want to have it come up for a vote because it would be an on-the-record referendum of most of the Republican caucus, along with the entirety of the Democratic caucus, rebuking President Trump's actions on ZTE. And that's an extraordinarily public way of sending a message that Mitch McConnell didn't want to do. So he acquiesced told Senator Inhofe, look, just add this in as you see. I don't want to see a vote record. I don't want to see a vote count on this. And incidentally, that's why there's not going to be a vote to strip it out in the Senate. What they're going to do is they're going to keep this in the Senate bill, which again will pass with 94 votes, uh, most likely, maybe a couple more. And then they'll conference it with the House. And at that point, the House Republican Caucus and the leadership over there will be responsible for saying, look, we like what you're trying to say here. We think that Chinese uh, communications and telecommunications companies are are an issue and they're squishy, but we need to take this component that retroactively curbs the president's authority out of the bill. So between now and July 6th, senators will have a lot of opportunity to air their grievances um, through the two hearings in the Senate Finance Committee. Um, we'll see the administration hopefully negotiate with China directly to avoid imposing the first $34 billion tranche of tariffs, followed by another $16 billion. China will obviously respond with $50 billion of their own, as they've already telegraphed. And then the administration is in a position to say, well, we want that additional $100 billion tranche to go through. So there's about three weeks here right now um, that will include some very public opportunities for members to go on the record with their opposition to the president's strategy on trade, demand answers to their questions that they have not gotten so far, um, and move the story forward. And, and I just realized that the point I was trying to get to um, and stop me if you want to, of course, but um, okay. the administration asked their friendly senator, Senator Perdue, Republican from Georgia, to file an amendment to the underlying defense bill that would render the Cotton-Rubio amendment unconstitutional. Say basically, look, this is a third-degree amendment, which means it's not germane to the underlying defense bill, so it's not valid for even consideration in this defense authorization bill. So just remove the entire Cotton-Rubio amendment because it doesn't even qualify for consideration under this bill. Save it for another time. The White House administration staff expressly asked Senator Perdue's staff to do that, but they clarified that they don't want this kind of proposal to come up for a vote because they know it will fail. They knew that if they tried to render the Cotton-Rubio amendment unconstitutional or illegal, it would fail on the Senate floor in a very public, you know, um, and again, a very public rebuke of the administration. But the justification for it was, and I'm not even kidding, the justification was from the White House staff that when they tell the president about the ZTE amendment, they would be able to say that they tried to get it stripped out of the Senate bill. Okay. So then I have a couple of follow-ups on what you just said. 
Is there a middle ground between what the Rubios and the Schumers of the world want, which seems to be ZTE completely out of business, and what Trump's proposed already? So is there some sort of harsher punishment that you have you've heard that people want um, in that camp that keeps ZTE in business but just kind of amplifies what Trump's done already? You can see the fines go up. I think it's already a record breaker at $1.7 billion. So you can see that increase uh, a little bit, and I understand that China would be very willing to accept that. You know, So say that ticks up to $1.9 billion in fines, that could be entirely possible. Um, clearly, the ink is not dry on that VPE deal, so they do need to ratchet it up a little bit somehow. Um, so I think that is distinctly possible, yes. Okay. If this went to a vote in the House, hypothetically, when would that be? As early as next week. And if that happens and it passes well, the House? Sorry, the, the conference process is going to start as early as next week. And okay. then they probably take about a week to deliberate, and then it could come for a full vote um, in two weeks' time. The goal of the majority leader is to finish work on the entire defense bill, including the CT amendment, by June 28th, which is the beginning of the 4th of July recess. Okay, so the key dates to look here are June 28th, July 6th. And if this still doesn't have clarity by July 6th, and again, the, the date that investors are looking at for fall comes is July 25th. Is there anything between the 6th and the 25th that we should look at also? Yeah, that's another major work session of Congress. Um, they go on recess the last week of July, so they will have time uh, between the 4th of July recess and the August recess, uh, which is another three-week work period, to hammer this out. Okay, and then the last question that I'm going to ask you is, if you were going to just create a dream headline, hypothetical headline, that you saw – and you would be like, okay, looks like we're going to reach a compromise here, whether it be um, from a specific senator or just something on the tape. What, how do you think that would read? It would be China and the U.S. reach a deal on trade. They agree to enter into bilateral negotiations because that would imply that they've come to an agreement on DPE as well. Understood. Henrietta, that was so amazing. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. There are just so many moving parts to this story right now. Henrietta laid out some very specific dates but most importantly, she said that she only really thinks that there's a 55 to 60% chance that Trump and his administration can overcome Rubio and those revisions made to that bill. So based on that information, those are just not odds that I'm interested in betting on at this point. If we got clarity on trade, if we got clarity on some sort of cohesion in the House, then I could get more constructive to actually be long this. For now though, I really do think the only way to play this is by maybe buying calls in some of those dates that she highlighted. I'd much rather buy stock at 118 with some clarity around the news flow in ZTE than gambling here on a 50-50 shot at 113. That wraps up this week's edition of According to Sources for the week of June 17th. Again, as promised, I will be back next week and I hope to discuss Athena Health and Pinnacle Foods. Disclaimer, the opinions and thoughts expressed in this podcast are those of Broom Street Capital. Broom Street Capital is not liable for any actions or losses taken as a result of the expressions and opinions from this podcast.
Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z.